Alright. Yeah, there's a truck right there with a couple of empty seats. Greg said you could sit in there. <laughs> hey, welcome to uh, t welcome to GNCC Church. Um, you might have noticed it's a little nippy outside, so we'll just have to make sure I talk quickly. And uh, I don't think we'll freeze, but um, feel free to cuddle up with your blanket or whatever you brought. And uh, we're just we're blessed to be here. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be at a racetrack uh, in this country. I just pray that as the times um, press down on us, that we will wake up that we will hear what you have to say from your word. Give me your words to speak. Open our hearts and our minds. And uh, just bless us for being here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm Chuck Leemaster with Team Faith. And uh, this is church. This is a little bit different. Actually, it's a lot different than the way I grew up in church. Uh, I was born into a Christian family. was raised as a preacher's kid, if you can believe that. And all the stories that you've heard about preacher's kids are true. Uh, I am the statistic on preacher's kids. Thank God he brought me to um, repentance the hard way, and I surrendered. But uh, I remember being a, a, a youngster in church, and it always felt like we did things a little bit differently. Not the peculiar people, royal priesthood kind of way that Peter talked about. It just felt like we all were always like, there's, there's Sunday, and we speak in the King James English, and then there's Monday where everybody else in the whole world is like, y'all are weird. And I don't know if that was perception or if that was reality, but for me, it seems like church was always a little bit churchy, if you will. And and one of the things, and this isn't really a knock, but Sunday school, as, as a little kid, our Sunday school classes kind of got, we took the scriptures and we, we dumbed them down for the kids, but there are some Sunday school lessons that didn't really connect. I mean, one of those would be Noah's Ark. And maybe maybe you've done this. Maybe you've put Noah's Ark on the wall of your of your nursery bedroom, and it's got the boat with all the happy animals, and they're riding this wave, and they're all smiling, and and there's a rainbow in the background. But really, Noah's Ark was all about judgment, God's judgment on the earth. The whole earth got wiped out. It's actually not a children's story, but I know another story uh, that well, it seemed like a story from the Bible that kind of got ruined for me was in Ephesians when Paul talks about the armor of God. You know, the kids would always do the cardboard cutouts and they'd have their cardboard sword and, you know, the sword of the Spirit. It became a nice little children's play, but it never really connected with me. And since, since I've been doing ministry, especially on the racetrack, I have really shied away from churchy things because I want it to be real. This thing is living and active. It's, it's practical and applicable to our lives. I don't want it to be something that we think, oh, that's church and this is real life. And so I remember a few years ago, somebody came up to me and said, man, you really, I do this great thing with the armor of God. I've got my motocross chest protector and my Alpine Star boots and my helmet. And I'm like, he's like, if you want me to, I'll come and do it. And I'm like, well, maybe I don't want you to because I don't want cheese at our church here i want the real word of god but you know what when you dig into ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of god the apostle apostle paul was absolutely brilliant i mean the way that he connected it if you can put the churchiness the sunday school if you can put all that aside and dig into the armor of god it's amazing and so that's where we're going to go tonight no cheese i mean no references to fly racing and the helmet with the advanced integrated system you know we're not going to do any of that except i just did a little bit of cheese there i could not help myself but we're not going to do we're not going to do all of that we want to get into actual what is the armor of god how is that beyond a sunday school lesson 
And to do this, as we always do at GNCC Church, we assign context. Context, context. And I'll admit to you, I always thought the Apostle Paul was boring. I thought he was long-winded. Matter of fact, there's a story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, where Paul is preaching a message. It's on the first day of the week, and he's preaching a message, and he goes so long, he goes till midnight, it says, and he's on the upper floor of the house, the third story of the house, and there's this kid sitting on the windowsill named Eutychus. Eutychus falls asleep, and he falls out of the third story window, falls to his death. And Paul has to stop his sermon. He goes downstairs, he resurrects the kid back to life, comes back upstairs and preaches till dawn. I mean, you talk about long-winded, you think I'm bad, right? We ain't going there, because for one, I don't know that I can resurrect the dead, but hey, that was the Apostle Paul. He was also, I always thought, you know, he was a little bit wordy, lots of run-on sentences. Now, I heard a pastor say, you know, Paul wrote beautiful Greek, terrible English. And I don't know if that's true or not, because to me, a run-on sentence is a run-on sentence. But, but catch this. This is at the conclusion of his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians 3.17 I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. So imagine that, if you will. What Paul was doing was he was dictating his letters. So you would receive this letter, and here in all this probably legible handwriting is, is all of Paul that he has dictated to somebody. And at the end of every letter, there's this little paragraph that says, uh, this is Paul, my own handwriting, I love you guys. And that's how he wrote every single one of his letters. He dictated it. We always speak differently than we write. And so that kind of gives some context for, for, the, for the letters that Paul writes. And uh, he actually, he wrote 13 Epistles. That epistles just a church word for a letter. You know, he wrote 13 letters to the churches. Four of those were from house arrest in, in Rome. And let me tell you, Paul was no wimp. All right, I've got a friend who was a Navy SEAL. Dude talks more than anybody I know. Like you, you get to talking to him, you can't break away from him. He's just talking long-winded. He ain't no wimp though. I, I'm like, how did you make it through Hell Week? I mean, did you just talk your way through there. Ain't no wimp. The Apostle Paul was certainly no wimp. Paul, when he was arrested, he makes an appearance. He has to testify before King Agrippa, who's the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And Paul explains some of his background. He says, according, he said, I was raised according to the strictest party of our religion. I have lived as a Pharisee. One of those really well-educated religious leaders, a Pharisee. He gives some more context in, his, in Philippians. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as, as to zeal a persecutor of the church and a persecutor he was if you remember the story of paul it goes back to the stoning of stephen which we touched on a week ago stephen was stoned and everybody all these executioners the people who were passing judgment on stephen they took their coat off they laid them at the feet of a guy named saul which is the same person saul they laid him at the feet of the, the guy named saul which means that saul was the one that had to give the nod, the approval that, yes, you can go ahead and do this. <coughs> Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, And Saul approved of his execution. And after Saul approved of the execution of Stephen, he actually went to the religious leaders. And he said, hey, give me some conscript letters. Let me go to Damascus, and I will squash this movement that has risen up. At this time, it wasn't even a movement of Christians. It was, it was a movement of the way. 
people that kept following the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so Paul says, let me at him and I'll take care of it. And of course, you know the story. He's on the road to Damascus, bright light. Saul falls to the ground. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up. Go into the town. And so Saul goes. And then God appears three days later to a guy named Ananias. He says, Ananias, I want you to go to the house on Straight Street. There's a guy over there named Saul, and I want you to lay hands on him. Pray that he'll receive his sight. And Ananias is like, uh, God, is this the same Saul that came here to kill us? You, you realize what you're asking me to do, right? And God replies to him and says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And this is where the story of Saul, Paul, really gets interesting. He starts teaching about Jesus in the synagogue there in Damascus. And at first the Jews are like, we're afraid of him because he came here to kill us. And then they're like, wait a second, what are you teaching? We're going to kill you. And Saul has to escape for his life. He's lowered down over the wall. He escapes in the middle of the night. He writes a, a letter to the church in Corinth many years later. His ministry spanned 35 years. And towards the end of it, he writes a letter to, to the church in Corinth. And he says of himself, he says that he was beaten five times with 39 lashes. He was beaten three times with rods. There was one time where he was stoned. The stoning is to kill him, and he walked away from it. He said three times he was shipwrecked. We know of one of those times, which is recorded in the book of Acts chapter 27. He's on his way to Rome for his final imprisonment. And Rome is where he wrote the, uh, the, the letters to Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He says he was on treacherous journeys all the time, in danger of robbers, no place to escape, sleepless nights, hungry and cold. Three times he was arrested that we know of, probably more than that. I mean, this, this guy, he was the real deal. And then get this, get this. In his first letter to the church in Corinth, he writes, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 32. Paul writes, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beast at Ephesus? Does that mean that Paul was a glad... Did he fight with the lions in Ephesus? I don't know. I don't think so, because I would have thought he would mention that later on with all the things he had to talk about. But he seems like the kind of guy that would be in the gladiator games. I mean, we have this vision of, of Paul. And he was called Paul when he turned his ministry away from the Jews. His Jewish name was Saul. When he went to preach to the Gentiles, which is what I am, because I'm not Jewish, he, his name was Paul. That's the only difference there. It's the same person. And so... He's, we have this image of him because we see all these paintings of him and he's this boring looking guy with a bald head and what hair he does have is kind of frizzy and he's just kind of this boring looking dude. But I mean, what, what do I gain if, say, I actually wrestled those lions in Ephesus? I mean, now I got images of Russell Crowe, you know? What we do in life echoes in eternity. Sounds like something that Paul would say too, you know? So this guy, <laughs> this guy, when he talks about warfare, I straighten up. And I pay attention. So now, we come to the letter to the church in Ephesus. The letter of Ephesians, of where apparently the gladiator games were. We know that Paul visited here twice. His, the end of his first missionary journey, Acts chapter 18, and then in his third missionary journey, Acts chapter 19, he spends three years in Ephesus. During those three years, obviously, 
He gets to know a lot of people. Uh, he, he becomes acquainted. He's intimate with these people. He knows them and he knows them well. And so the book of Ephesians is actually written, it's not to correct any bad behavior like so many of his letters are. The letter of Ephesians is actually to encourage people, to help them to step out and to fulfill their purpose. There's actually two key verses in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is the on-purpose, for-purpose verse right here. That's three for three. Three messages this year. I get to say you were created on-purpose, for-purpose. God has a plan for your life. It comes directly from, from the gospel. It comes directly from the Bible, rather, from Ephesians right here. Paul said it, and he says in Ephesians 4.1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live your life according to how you've been called a child of God and that's the whole purpose of Ephesians is he's edifying them he's encouraging them he's challenging them and he gives some practical things that you can sink your teeth into here's how to live first thing he says for by grace you have been saved it's not of works you don't earn your way into heaven it's God's gift to you it's by grace and he says you receive a gifting of the Holy Spirit he helps he actually equips you to go and live this life that he's called you to. And he challenges his readers, his audience. He challenges you and me. Speak the truth. Don't cuss. He says, use your, use your words, use your language to edify, to build up, to be different. A quick pause right here. I challenge almost every high school student that I come in contact with. The easiest way for you to let your classmates know that you are a Christian, you don't have to be weird, you don't have to wear weird clothes. All you have to do don't cuss. Just don't cuss. And eventually, the doors will be open. Opportunities will be given. You will have conversations. And it'll be natural. Just don't cuss. And that comes straight from the book of Ephesians. He says, be kind. Forgive one another. Be pure, sexually speaking. He gives the order of the family. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, be willing to die for your wives. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, servants, employees. Do your work as if it's to the Lord. And then we come to Ephesians 6, and Paul says, finally, in other words, he says, I've said all these things, and now I'm going to wrap it up. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. I find it really interesting that as Paul wraps up that passage, that Paul, the possible gladiator, said, please pray for me that I'll be bold 
and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a wake-up call for all of us right here. It's a wake-up call for me. We're not in this thing alone. We need to rally people behind us. We need to rally people with us. As the, the pastor, the pit pastor of the GNCC Race and Nation, I'm a part of Team Faith. Every Monday morning, we have a conference call among the, the leadership at Team Faith. We've got a team on Supercross. We'll soon have a team on Pro Watercraft. We've got people all over the country in the leadership. We come together in a Zoom meeting every Monday morning. And how was your weekend? What happened? What do you need prayer for? We pray for each other. We admonish one another. We give advice to one another. We're not. None of us are in this thing alone. My church, Calvary Chapel Hickson, or Calvary Chapel Northside in Hickson, Tennessee, before the start of this season, the pastor actually brought me up on stage, put his arm around me, prayed for me with the whole congregation, commissioned me to come out here and to do this, to pray that I'll have boldness. And so I find it very interesting that if Paul the possible gladiator needed boldness, I also need it, you also need it. And that kind of brings us that this is a serious, serious deal. He starts out by saying, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so if I can, I'll be blunt with you. That's actually a rhetorical <laughs> May I be blunt? That's a rhetorical question. That means that somebody's about to land on you, right? Look around the world. People don't get this stupid on their own. You look at what's happening in the world today, and you're like, "How? what are you saying? Uh, boys can compete in girls' sports? Uh, a boy isn't a boy. Men can be pregnant. They can breastfeed. You know, Take off uh, two months vacation time so you can breastfeed. None of that makes any sense. Most recently, the World Economic Forum announced that uh, by the year 2020, we need to stop eating meat because if we eat cows, that encourages reproduction of cows and cows fart and their farts are ruining the environment. I mean, this is, this is serious. You don't get to be, you don't get to be this dumb on your own. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Here's how Paul, we're talking about Paul, he writes in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, and he's referring to Satan, Jesus, when Satan tempted Jesus out in the wilderness, Satan said, hey, fall down before me and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. Jesus, interestingly, did not refute him and say, these aren't your kingdoms, this is my father's kingdom. No, Jesus didn't say anything. He just said, get thee behind me, Satan. You shall, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shalt thou serve. It is king, it is the God of, Satan is the God of this world. And Paul says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. You see, this spiritual deception, it's not just, it's not just, I don't believe that Jesus was God's own son, come to this earth to live the perfect life that I couldn't live, to offer himself as a sacrifice for my sins, to die on the cross, the penalty that I deserve to pay, was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. It's the spiritual deception that we have isn't just that I don't believe that. We have this deception that in order to not believe that, there's an insulated, there's the layers of lies upon this. Well, I don't believe that God created the, the world. I believe it was evolution. It just kind of happened to be. So if you believe that, you don't get to the center of the truth. And then it's insulated. Well, I don't believe that life starts at conception. And now we're, we're way out. We're way out here. I mean, where a boy isn't a boy and we got... 86 different genders and I mean the world's a complete confusion but that's all by Satan's doing to shelter the truth the very center of the truth is that Jesus was God's own son come to give his life 
for our sins, that we're all sinners. That's the truth. But it is so well insulated with all these lies and deceptions that people aren't getting it. And Paul says that that's intentional on the because of the God of this world. It's all anti the biblical view. Because it all started in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. He gave them dominion over the earth. That's the biblical, that's the truth of the matter. And so, what we've got going on right now is a Romans 1 situation. We don't have time to get into that. Read it on your own. If you need a Bible, I've got Bibles up here. Read Romans chapter 1 and you will see like our current lifestyle just popping off the pages of the Bible. And the question that we have is, well, how do I combat this? And Paul spelled it out. It's not a Sunday school lesson. It's actually real life. He says the first thing you got to do is you got to fasten the belt of truth. And that's why Paul was so brilliant. He's a tough guy here, and he's putting together nuts and bolts for us to put together. And he starts, I mean, you would think that like the most important thing would be the, the helmet of salvation, but he starts with the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? The belt goes right around your waist, right? Okay, so I guess I do have to go back to maybe a cheesy analogy from old school motocross days. What do we used to wear around here? A kidney belt, exactly. Had that thin little pad in the back that didn't do anything to protect your kidneys. The real advantage of the kidney belt was that, that stretchy material up front. You stretch it this way, you stretch it this way, and it kind of sucked in your gut. And it, Weightlifters, you know, they have that big belt right around their core. Why? Because the core is connected to everything. You cannot be a fast dirt bike rider or ATV racer if you have a weak core. You can't be a top-level athlete with a weak core. This is why everybody does planks. You have to have a strong core. Whether you're a soldier, a racer, an athlete, whatever you do, you have to have a strong core. And this is the brilliance of Paul. because He's like, everything's connected to the truth. And it's the truth that's under assault these days. The number one truth is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And He wasn't raised... He wasn't raised because I say that he was raised. He was raised from the dead because we have eyewitness accounts of this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all have eyewitness accounts. The, the number one detractor from Christianity was Paul, who was going to kill Christians, became a Christian himself. He said, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And not just me, but there were over 500 people that, that saw this risen Savior, this risen Jesus. Check it out for yourself. I love this quote. From Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was actually um, an advisor to the White House back in 1969-1970. He was actually a lawyer, uh, the special advisory lawyer to President Nixon. Now when you hear of Nixon, what do you think of? You think of the Watergate scandal, right? Chuck Colson, here's what he writes. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Well said. That is the truth. When you put that truth on, everything emanates from there. And you can work backwards on that truth. If God raised Jesus from the dead, it is nothing to part the Red Sea. If God raised Jesus from the dead, 
it is nothing to spit Jonah up from the belly of a whale after three days. If God raised Jesus from the dead, he could create the world in six days. It all hinges on that one truth. And that truth is central to everything. And we're talking, you start with this truth right here, but God is the author of truth. And so all truth matters. And we do a disservice to our Creator when we water down the truth and when we compromise on the truth. I remember having a conversation last year with a Christian. And the, the subject came up of boys competing in girls' sports. And, uh, and the rebuttal was, well, that's, that's, that's their truth. And I instantly, it wouldn't have bothered me if it was an unsafe person that said that, but instantly, because you've claimed the name of Christ, you claim to know the truth, I felt my temperature rise. I felt the blood come up. I felt my blood pressure rise. I was like, there's no such thing as his truth. And I was like, oh, you got to calm down. Calm the deep breaths. Count to 10. There's no such thing as their truth. There's only the truth. And we stake our claim on the truth and everything else comes into, comes into focus. Does this mean that I'll never be lied to? That I can always spot a lie? Absolutely not. People can fool me for a while. But you know what? If you seek, you'll find. You'll find the truth. What happened two years ago? I mean, pretty much everybody right here, we knew the truth about lockdowns and face masks. It's just now coming out. The truth is just now coming out. We've got this huge diversion. Oh, look over here. But no, we're not. We're not. Don't look here. Look over here. There's always all this obfuscation. I can't even say it. <laughs> the shadows. Yeah, that's the word I'm trying to say. It's always in the shadows. But for us, truth matters. And truth always matters. It's central to who we are. The breastplate of righteousness. What does the uh, what does the the, the armor? cover the, or the chest protector I guess since we're all dirt bike riders the, the chest protector covers this if you've got a plate carrier if you're in the military it covers your heart right I mean that's pretty that's pretty basic Proverbs 423 keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life this is who you are this is your character character is who you are when no one's looking it's your integrity no one knows if you cheat on your expense reports. Nobody knows if you fudge your taxes. No one knows what you look at on your phone when nobody else is home. But you take a hit here, and you bleed out fast. Now, because we're at GNCC Church, I can be real with y'all. I wouldn't be able to share this, this analogy with the, at the old-timey Baptist church I grew up, I don't think. But this past year, my son Trevor shot his first deer. And pretty cool story, Trevor's 15 years old. Cool story on that is that he shot it with a 12-gauge shotgun that has been passed down through our family. My dad shot his first deer with it. I shot my first deer with it. And Trevor had his choice of armament when he went to the gun safe. He could have got a 6.5 Creedmoor. He could have uh, any number of rifles. And he pulled out that World War II era 12-gauge shotgun. And he shot his first deer at 70 yards, dead center through the heart. I've never seen a shot like it. We were field dressing that animal, and I've got, I know somebody that liked to eat the heart. I pulled it out, I was like, this is amazing. I, I mean, just blew it out. Thing is, when he, when he shot that deer, the deer took off running, and it ran about 10 steps, and then it just collapsed in a heap and rolled down the hill. It bled out quick. It didn't die instantly, but it bled out quick. You take a hit here, and you bleed out quick. So you guard it. Porn, lying, cheating these secret sins that start in the heart adultery i mean how many christian leaders have been taken out by adultery 
be sure your sin will find you out is an Old Testament principle repeated in the New Testament. So we guard that. That's the breastplate of righteousness, of right living. Mike Pence, our former vice president, made the statement a few years ago that he would not go to lunch with a female co-worker if his wife was not present. And of course, he got crucified in the media. Oh, he's such a big fancy word, chauvinist, misogynist, all these words. I had to go to the dictionary. Like, oh, these are all bad things. He's a, he's a terrible human being. Not at all. Mike Pence was guarding his heart. He was guarding his marriage. He was guarding his reputation. Guarded at all costs. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. So whatever you have to do, accountability partners, covenant eyes on your phone, professional counseling, AA if you have a drinking problem, I've been there. I can, I can point you the way. Whatever the cost, you have to guard your heart, no matter the cost. Paul goes on, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You familiar with the North Hollywood shootout of 1997? Two guys go into a bank in North Hollywood, Bank of America, they're going to rob it. They take uh, some Kevlar vests and they cut them up. They, they wear the Kevlar vests, they cover their groin, they cover their thighs, they go in, a cop sees them go in. When they come out, there's a whole bunch of cops waiting on them. This North Hollywood shootout changed policing for the entire country after this. This was right during the transition when the police were moving away from revolvers and going to semi-automatic handguns. And so half the cops had 38 specials, half of them had 9mm. They were all good shots. They were putting rounds on target, hitting them in center mass, and nothing was happening. These guys were armed with Bushmaster AR-15s that had been modified. 2,000 rounds had been spent, over 1,300 rounds by these two men. One of them finally took a shot through the hand, and he, and he went down, and he knew he was going to be captured, so he, he, he offed himself. The next guy just kept on shooting, just blazing it up. SWAT team arrives. This thing goes on for, it seemed like forever. It was broadcast on live television. And it's going on, rounds are just going everywhere. Finally, one of the SWAT guys, I think his last name was Anderson, he drops to the ground and he gets, he sees underneath the vehicles and he shoots the guy in the foot. And that topples the guy and that's what caused the guy to surrender. By the time the ambulance got there, he bled out and he died. It was a slow bleed out. Guard your heart. That's a fast bleed out. Shoes, your feet shod with the gospel of peace. Readiness given by the gospel of peace. What is the opposite of peace? I mean, this, is, this would be easier if we walk it backwards. The opposite of peace is drama, angst, anger, anxiety. But the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, and on and on. All the things that we want, all the things that when we try to get it on our own, we end up with the opposite of it. But these are the things that Jesus provides through the Holy Spirit, free of charge. And so when you're ready to go into action, if you are going to be ready to take the next step in your walk, your feet have to be shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And so right now you can ask yourself, do I have peace? If you don't have peace, you have to deal with that. That's the same as being shot in the foot. This, again, the brilliance of Paul here. Let me tell you, this is from Chuck to you, not from Paul to you, but the, the lack of peace most often comes from unforgiveness. And unforgiveness comes from the lack of surrender. But you don't know what they did to me. And God says, forgive. Hit your knees. God, I don't even know how to begin, but I give you my life. I will forgive this person. Forgiveness is a process. It might take some time. But that is where peace comes from. You will never move forward in your life. You will never move forward being usable to be used for God's purposes 
if you don't have, guard yourself, your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. What's the number one dart that the enemy has? 2020 kind of gave us a vision of it. I think 2020 was the year of the t-shirt. You know how the Chinese have the year of the dragon, the tiger, whatever? 2020 was the year of the t-shirt. It said faith over fear. Except I don't think that maybe... What is going on here? I'm afraid of this microphone. It's going to blow us out, right? Technical difficulties. We'll check it out later. I'll talk... Uh, I guess I'll have to shout really loud here. Um, <laughs> fear. Fear is what holds us back so often. Hebrews 11 says, uh, our shield of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. My dad was the preacher when I was growing up, and he once said that faith is not a response to proof, it is a response to promise. And that's what Hebrews 11 goes through, is all the people that had faith because of the promise that God was going to show them. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. You see, God's in charge. The things that he has been faithful to, you want to know that God's real? There's one proof for you. The name is Israel. You look at all the prophecies for Israel that have come true. God was faithful then. He's faithful now. He'll be faithful with what he says he will do. The helmet of salvation, our brain bucket, right? We know what these are. The helmet of salvation, what does that have to do? This has to do with our perception. When you take salvation, you make Jesus the Lord of your life, this changes everything about how you think and how you see the world. Instead of seeing all that fun that they're having, you're seeing how empty their hearts are and how much they need Jesus. The helmet of salvation to guard your hearts and your thoughts. Paul said, take every thought captive. That also helps to guard your heart as well. But it all starts with salvation. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, self-explanatory, you've got to be in the Bible. And then he closes out with prayer. He says you've got to pray. Be alert and be on guard. Peter said it this way. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The Apostle Paul, he wrote that letter from Rome where he was under house arrest. Tradition tells us that Paul was executed by, by the Emperor Nero in Rome. We don't have proof of that, but it's, it's totally believable. That's most likely how he died, was by being beheaded, lost his head. Paul's the one that said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so we here today, we take on that same task. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, but while I'm here, I have a purpose. I'm going to live it out, and in order to do so, I'm going to armor up. God, thank you for today. Thank you for helping us to just get through even technical difficulties, cold weather, whatever. I know that you had a message for us. So just draw us close to you. Convict us where we need to change. Encourage us where we're walking through. And use us to expand the landscape of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, thank you so much. And uh, need anything, come see me. We'll see you out there on the racetrack. <laughs>